hello and welcome to the Informed Traveler podcast, part of the Informed Traveler radio show, which is heard each week on Chorus Radio. It's a travel podcast where our goal is to help you become a more informed traveler. And I'm your host, Randy Sharman. Got a spooky Halloween theme on our show this week. First, we're going to try to answer the question of why some of us are so fascinated with visiting haunted houses and haunted hotels and other haunted places, at least I am anyway. So in a few moments, we'll talk with a professor of psychology who studied why all those spooky places appeal to us. And speaking of spooky places, is there anything more spookier than Bran Castle or Dracula's Castle, as it's known in Transylvania? We'll chat about a tour that offers a private visit to Dracula's Castle And later in the show, we'll learn about touring a few of the ghost towns of Arizona. But to start our show out, like I mentioned, we're going to talk about why many of us enjoy visiting haunted houses and haunted hotels and other creepy places. To help us out, we're very pleased to be joined now by Frank McAndrew, Cornelia H. Dudley Professor of Psychology at Knox College. His website is frankmcandrew.com, and that's where you'll find his article among many, Houses of Horror. Hi, Frank. Hi, Randy. Happy to be here. Well, this uh, this always fascinates me. I think it's a fun topic, especially for Halloween. But uh, I find it interesting that so many people, and I'm going to say uh, a lot of people, including myself, are fascinated with haunted houses and haunted hotels or any place where you might uh, find ghosts. Uh, I'm thinking, judging by some of your articles on your website, uh, you find it quite interesting as well. Yeah, it is sort of perverse, isn't it, that places that we ought to avoid like the plague we actually spend money to go and put ourselves in a position where we're going to be scared. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and whether it's a haunted house or a horror movie, uh, yeah, it, on the surface of it, it doesn't make sense. But I think there's a method to the madness. I think of it as a form of play. Uh, kids play to practice things that they can use in the future. You know, they're developing skills. Well, uh, If we're exposing ourselves to something scary, but we know it isn't real, you're sitting in a horror movie watching somebody deal with a serial killer, Mm -hmm. or you're walking through a haunted house, but you know it's just pretend, you're learning a couple of different things. Uh, In the horror movie, you're learning from the experience of somebody else. And you can hear people in the audience gasping, right? No, no, don't go in that room. (laughs) You know, they're, they're very much in the moment. But... By seeing how other people deal with threatening situations, we're kind of rehearsing mental strategies that we might be able to use if we ourselves were ever in a position like that. And when you're walking through the haunted house, you learn stuff about yourself as well, right? You, you figure out what really scares you and what doesn't and what you're prepared to deal with and what you aren't. And uh, it gives you sort of a self-knowledge for how ready you are to handle real situations. Mm -hmm. Well, that's interesting. I never thought of it that way, but uh, it makes sense to me. But it's one thing to be in a movie theater where you know it's really safe. It's another thing to go actually into some haunted place that may actually truly be uh, haunted or have some sort of entity there, right? That's right. And you'll notice there are a lot fewer people who do that (laughs) than commercial haunted houses where they know it's safe. And I think that's why there's such a a thirst for those uh, sort of reality TV shows where, you know, uh, ghost hunters take you into haunted mm. houses. So you can sit in your living room and sort of have that experience without being there yourselves. Um, but, yeah, if you're a true believer, if you think the paranormal is real and that ghosts might be out there, 
uh, you ought to be too afraid to go into these places. And in your article, and, and it's on your website, by the way, it's Houses of Horror, frankmcandrew.com is your website. You talk about creepiness, and there's creepiness factors in there. So I guess it's one thing, again, going back to my uh, example of you can get creeped out in a movie theater knowing that you're safe, but you can get really creeped out in a haunted house or staying at a haunted hotel or something like that. Correct. Yeah, I've done a bit of research on creepiness. And creepiness is an emotion that's different from other similar emotions like fear or disgust. If you're afraid of something, if you're experiencing fear, you know that there is danger. You know what the threat is. You know what you should be trying to do to get away from it. Creepiness is all about uncertainty. You're in a place that's giving you a bad vibe, but you don't really know for sure whether there's anything to be afraid of or not. And this uncertainty drives you crazy. You're just sort of wallowing in discomfort as you're trying to figure out, am I safe here or not? And haunted houses have all kinds of things going on that keep us on the edge. Uh, You're hearing wind whistling through cracks. You're hearing creaking sounds and fluttering sounds. And is this a a real thing that might be there to get me, or is it just the wind? It's, it just, it's the uncertainty. That's the thing that creeps us out. Does the story behind a certain house, a place that, uh, you know, like say someone got murdered in, or something happened horribly uh, in that place or that area, does that add to the creepiness or add to the fear factor? Oh, it absolutely does, because now you're in a place where something bad has really happened. <laughs> You know that something terrible has happened there. And if it happened once, it could happen again. So that puts you even more on your guard. Absolutely it does. Have you ever experienced anything yourself, personally? I have to say no. I've been asked that question many times. People are interested if, uh, you know, whether I've had an experience that triggered my interest in all this. And I guess I'm kind of disappointed to say I have, <laughs> because uh, it would give me a much more exciting story to tell. I'm really interested in why other people are interested in this more than I am in the experience itself, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Well, here's to uh, fun uh, researching uh, more haunted houses and haunted places and and creepiness and all those fun things. It is Halloween, so it's always fun to chat about that. You can find his article, uh, Houses of Horrors, on his website, frankmcandrew.com. And uh, Frank McAndrew is Cornelia H. Dudley Professor of Psychology at Knox College. Really appreciate the time, Frank. Thank you. Thank you. It was the best part of my day, I promise. Well, speaking of spooky places, is there anything more spookier than Bran Castle or Dracula's Castle, as it's known in Transylvania? Well, one of Insight Vacations tours, the Treasure of the Balkans, includes a visit at Bran Castle in Transylvania, or Dracula's Castle, as it's known. So here to tell us more about the tour and what it's like to visit Bran Castle is Brad Gibson. He's the Insight Vacation and Velvet Collection Strategic Account Manager for Alberta and Saskatchewan. Their website is insightvacations.com. 
Happy Halloween, Brad. Happy Halloween to you too, Randy. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Brand Castle, which is part of this Treasures of the Balkans tour that Insight Vacations offers. But before we get to that, uh, just give us a, a bit of an oversight of uh, the tour, uh, Treasures of the Balkans itself. Well, it's a, a wonderful itinerary for exploring a unique part of Europe, the Balkan countries. It's 18 days. It's got a nice pace to it with lots of two-night stays throughout. And we're visiting Romania, Bulgaria, North Macedonia, Albania, Montenegro, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Serbia and Hungary. So covering uh, a lot of fascinating areas in Eastern Europe. And that is really a, a beautiful part of the world, isn't it? It is, and I think it's particularly appealing. You have uh, lots of guests who go if they have, uh, you know, heritage, family relations there, but also those who have over the years explored more of Western Europe, other areas, and they're looking for something new and unique. And, you know, this is really the crossroads of European culture and going back centuries of the Ottoman Empire and the, the different influences that have happened over the centuries. Mm-hmm. Well, there is quite a history behind that. And uh, one of the highlights, of course, uh, this being Halloween, is uh, Bran Castle or Dracula's Castle. Uh, give us a quick overview of that and what it's like to visit there. This, uh, this is a private tour, so, uh, you know, <laughs> creep us out a little bit. I would love to. It's such a great story. And, you know, it's not only visiting Bran Castle, which is very popular and loads of tourists are going there, you know, particularly through the sort of May to October months. Uh, the way that we do it, we're the art of traveling in style. So we like to elevate the experience. So this trip starts in Bucharest. And from there, we head up north and we do this visit to Bran Castle. And, you know, Bran is a small village in this really amazing landscape of forests and rolling hills and mountains. And it has the spook factor built into it already as we're heading up to Transylvania. But we arrive, Bran Castle is only open during the daytime and late afternoon it closes. We arrive into Bran late afternoon and we do it privately after hours. And anyone who's visited there or if you see videos, like a lot of tourist attractions, places you could visit, loads of people inside that you're sort of bumping into and going around uh, as you explore. We do it after they close with a local guide and we have about an hour visit in the castle. And the castle is full of stories and full of legends. Um, it's based on the idea that Bram Stoker, actually the Irish writer who wrote Count Dracula, a lot of people felt after time that he had based the castle itself on Bran Castle and also ties into the stories and legends of Vlad. And Vlad the Impaler, not a very nice name, mm-hmm. and by all accounts was not a very nice fellow. And uh, he was... the. His father and brother were killed by the Ottomans, and Bran Castle was built as a fortress in the 1400s for protection. And in the end, Vlad, not a very nice guy, his dad's last name was Dracul, Mm. the Order of the Dragon. So that's where you get a lot of the legends tying in. But we visit there, we hear the stories, and, you know, there's very narrow secret passageways throughout the castle, 
There's the very infamous torture chamber, and we visit that, and other rooms in the castle as well. But it's a beautiful place to visit. It's imposing, sort of built up on a 200-foot rocky cliff. And after we have our private guided tour, we then go down to someone who was in this castle much later in history, in the early 1900s, which was Queen Marie. And Queen Marie, when she lived there, had a tea house built so that she could host her guests. And we have a private, beautiful three-course dinner of local cuisine with wine after this great private visit. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and I'm thinking, while well, it's later in the afternoon, it's probably starting to get dark a little bit, which even adds. And then you're the only ones on this private tour. How many people on, on tour do you take uh, normally on the Treasures of the Balkans? We have uh, actually starting new going into 2022 and beyond. Uh, we have two choices. So Insight Vacations takes less than average uh, tour operators because our coaches have less seats on them. So maximum 40 guests, we usually average about 33. But on this trip and all our others, we're also offering dates that are small group departures, which would use the same coach, but be capped at a maximum of 24 guests. Mm-hmm. So you're going to be with, you know, any depending on the date you choose, 18 to 30 people, and doing this spooky visit as the evening yeah. and, you know, <laughs> the brown fog rolls into Transylvania and the mood is set for us. Wow, that would be that in itself would be worth the trip, I would think. Have they preserved it well, the castle? I mean, it's going back to the 1400s. I'm hoping that uh, a lot of it's been preserved and. Absolutely, and in, in very good condition and authentic, you know, and you get the, I would say, the, sort of the different stylings of different rooms that have developed over the centuries, but it's a private museum now in Romania and uh, owned by the government, uh, from what I understand, and, you know, it's a, an incredible opportunity, and this is right near the beginning of this, uh, the tour of the Treasures of the Balkans, so what a way to start your mm-hmm. No kidding. Well, talk about some of the other highlights, too, now uh, on the Treasures of the Balkans tour. You have, uh, it was 18 days, you said, so you have a lot of time. It is, yeah. It's a very immersive experience through, you know, again, a part of Europe that has quite a number of countries in it with lots of similarities, lots of differences, lots of conflict over time. We're going to visit the old Roman ruins in Sofia in Bulgaria as an example, We've got a beautiful three nights in Dubrovnik on the Croatian coastline, and Croatia is so popular, so that's a beautiful experience. Two nights in Sarajevo, and I think, for me, this is one of uh, the places where we have a a few really interesting experiences. You have the, from the war in the 90s, the Tunnel of Hope, um, where, you know, people and goods and firearms were transported during the war, and a very moving experience. But then we also do dinners at home with local families. So we take our group and break them into smaller groups, and they join local families in their homes for an incredible meal. But they also share their stories of what it was like to live through that time. So it's a, you know, it's a very emotional experience, but it's wonderful to really connect with the destination. And then, you know, we're into Belgrade for a couple of nights. We finish in Budapest, a beautiful city in Hungary along the Danube. And it's that's just a, a beautiful end to an incredible journey. Mm-hmm. Talk a, bit, a little bit about um, what's included and the accommodations. 
Well, with Insight Vacations, we have you know very nice first-class hotels, always well-located, and that's important from our point of view to give our guests easy access to things because we will do things during the day as a group, but we also have free time to relax and enjoy. And when your hotel is in a good location, that means you can walk out the door and you're in the heart of the action, if you will. Um, Good amount of meals. We have a beautiful breakfast included every day. Typically, lunch is on our own as we're out and about exploring. And then a certain number of nights on the trip will include dinner and we leave other nights open so that you can do your own thing. And the included meals, you know, we focus a lot of our attention on the quality of the dining experiences we offer because, you know, food in travel is such a big part of it, of the Mm -hmm. experience, you know delving into the cuisine of different countries and cultures. So, you know, I mentioned dine at home with locals in Sarajevo, but beautiful restaurant meals. We, we tend to dine more out of the hotel than in the hotel. And then the incredible insight experiences. So like Brand Castle, throughout Europe, we have over 100 unique insight experiences. And they're, they're things that are sometimes difficult or even impossible to set up on your own if you were an independent traveler. And I think especially traveling now as, you know, Mm -hmm. we're we're dealing with COVID, that's a reality. Going guided to me has never been uh, more appealing for the traveler than it will be in these times because we have all the details sorted and you're so well looked after from start to finish. Yeah, for sure. And if you want to visit Dracula's Castle, this is the tour. Treasures of the Balkans, among other things, the other parts of uh, Eastern Europe. It sounds like a fantastic trip. You can find more information on the Insight Vacations website, insightvacations.com. And Brad Gibson is uh, Insight Vacations and the Velvet Collection Strategic Account Manager for Alberta and Saskatchewan. It was great chatting with you, Brad. Thank you. Likewise, and thank you. Well, next time you're in Arizona, you might want to take a road trip visiting the many ghost towns Arizona has scattered throughout the state. There's lots to choose from, so joining us now to tell us about a few of those ghost towns and the stories behind them is Roger Naylor. He's a travel writer and author. His recent book is Arizona's Secret Roads and Hikes, and his website is rogernaylor.com. Hi, Roger. Hi, Randy. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, I I have been to Arizona, but I, ha- I have to admit my experience of Arizona is in Phoenix, and that's about it. <laughs> so uh, uh, we're gonna well, we're gonna get we're gonna get outside. Yeah, we're gonna get outside of Phoenix and visit some of the ghost towns. This sounds really exciting. Is it? Is this uh, the kind of thing you can do on day trips, or, or you you want to do this over a few days, or how would you plan looking at some of the places that we're going to talk about here? Well, it just depends on what your interests are. They're scattered kind of all over the state. I mean, back in the day, Arizona represented the raggedy edge of the frontier. You know, this was these were harsh lands. and uh, But despite that, uh, you know, communities would spring up where, whenever ore was discovered. It wasn't like these were uh, towns were chosen uh, for uh, obvious place. Uh, you know, like, well, here's a, here's a stream. We'll build a town here. No, mm-hmm. it's because, well, we found gold. So we're building <laughs> a town, even if it's on the side of a hill or out in the middle of nowhere. So, um, you know, and while the ore was flowing from the, the ground, it seemed like the boom times would never end. But as soon as the mines closed, 
A lot of towns struggled, and uh, a lot of them didn't survive. Their sun-bleached bones still dot the landscape. So to me, it's like a journey back in time getting out to see these, but they are scattered all over Arizona, so you can kind of have whatever ghost town experience you want. You can uh, drive to ones on a a paved road. You can uh, some that are uh, have caretakers there, and you pay uh, to get in and, and see some of the old buildings, and others you kind of have to find on your own and, and do a little exploring on your own. So hmm. it's it's sort of whatever, uh, however interested you are. But the ones we'll be talking about, I think, are you know all very accessible for the most part. Uh, one or two are down dirt roads, but uh, um, uh, you know there it's not uh, it's nothing you need a four wheel drive for. It's nothing you need. Uh, um, you can have a, a great experience just uh, with a little bit of planning ahead of time. Mm-hmm. So, what makes a good ghost town? Like, how, what would rate one town better than the other? Or there is—is is there any kind of criteria or anything like that? I don't think there's a, a criteria, but I mean, obviously, if you still got buildings standing, that's always a plus. Uh, I always like a good spooky graveyard. Mm-hmm. Know, that's always a nice uh, a nice touch. And especially if they've got some stories to go with them, if there's been some murders, some mysterious deaths, some violence, you know, some Old West uh, shootouts, that kind of stuff, that always, you know, adds a little bit of flavor to it. Sure does. Um, so we have, about, we have about four or five towns on our list here. Uh, is there any particular one that you want to start out with that has a, a really good story behind it? Well, let's start with uh, Fairbank, Arizona. That's one of my favorites. Uh, it's uh, about 10 miles uh, west of Tombstone. So uh, during when Tombstone was the big, booming silver town back in the 1880s, Fairbank was where the, the closest railroad depot. So that's where they were shipping the ore, and that's where uh, people that were traveling to Tombstone, that's as far as they could take the train and then ride the stagecoach. So Fairbank uh, got to about a population of about 500 uh, during those uh, times, uh, but uh, it's got a lot of things going for it because there are still some buildings that are that are left standing. It's got a really scenic location. It's huddled in a mesquite grove on the banks of the San Pedro River. There, uh, just a really beautiful little setting. They've got the schoolhouse still standing, the mercantile still standing, and the old mill. Uh, one of the things I like about Fairbank is they do have a good old west shootout. Uh, in fact, in the 1900. Uh, the Bert Alvord gang uh, that was a Bert Alvord was a, a former lawman that turned out law um, and uh, kind of operated in the area. But they tried a daring raid on the train right there at the depot. He and uh, I think five of his men uh, decided to try to rob the train. Unfortunately, there was a Jeff Milton, a pretty notorious uh, lawman, was filling in for another lawman who was sick that day. And uh, he was having none of it, so he cut loose with a couple shotgun blasts, wounding one of the the bandits, uh, and then wounding another one who uh, three-fingered Jack Dunlop, and he died. Uh, And Jeff Milton took a bullet in the arm, uh, uh, was bleeding badly, uh, but he managed to uh, fight him off, and uh, uh, so that's always a a great little uh, uh, story. In fact. Three-Fingered Jack was one of the last uh, outlaws, one of the last bad men to be buried in Boot Hill Cemetery in uh, Tombstone there. Hmm. They've got a couple nice walking paths at the Fairbank where you walk along the river past the old railroad depots. You can head down to the uh, ruins of an old mill, and they've got a great little cemetery, very 
old and overgrown and just, uh, you know, for this time of year around Halloween, it's always just kind of a fun little visit. It's all on a paved road. You just pull up right there. And uh, it's part of the uh, San Pedro Riparian National Conservation Area. So it's kind of maintained by the uh, Bureau of Land Management. But Mm -hmm. just a great little place to stop and walk around, have a picnic and explore some of the old buildings and down by the river and the the old mill and cemetery. And, and then you're right there next to uh, Tombstone. You're just a few miles from Tombstone. So if you're in a ghostly mood, head into Tombstone and visit the Birdcage Theater, which is one of the most haunted buildings really? in the country. Absolutely. Uh, the Birdcage was legendary back in the, you know, it opened up during Tombstone's boom years. And uh, in fact, that's the site of the longest uh, poker game in history. It lasted <laughs> over eight years. It went, went, went non nonstop uh, while the doors were open um, until they closed up again. But once they, and they closed up in 1889, I think, and then just, it just stayed closed for decades until uh, it was finally reopened again and has been kind of left that state. So it's very much a museum. You could go in during the day. There are 140 bullet holes in the walls, <laughs> in the ceilings. Uh, it's said that 26 men died on the, the floor of oh the my. theater. So it's, uh, it was quite a violent, rowdy little place. And they offered ghost tours in the evening. You can go in during the day, uh, tour it by yourself if you want, uh, or uh, come back in the evening and, and get a good ghost tour of all that building. So it's kind of a, a nice little bonus there since you're right there in the area. Mm-hmm. Well, I was going to ask about Fairbank. Where would you learn the stories that you're telling us uh, about? Uh, is there like a specific tour you can take or? Is there plaques or, you know, things written that you can read about? Yeah, they've got some informational signage there. Um, but, yeah, for the most part, it's just a matter of kind of researching on your own. Uh, uh, if you look up uh, Fairbank, Arizona, and it is Fairbank. It's not Fairbanks like uh, Alaska. <laughs> it's, uh, it's singular. Um, you can find some of the stories, but they do have some nice informational signage around, too, and good signs on the trails and stuff so you won't get lost. Uh, what about Two Guns? That sounds like an interesting place. Oh yeah, now two guns. Oh my goodness, that's a uh, that's a place with a lot of violence, a lot of uh, <laughs> history. It's up the other part of the uh, uh, the the state. It's just a little uh, east of uh, Flagstaff, between Flagstaff and Winslow. There, it was originally called Canyon Lodge. It just started out as a little trading post back in the late eighteen. Uh, uh, hundreds there and stuff, but then uh, once the, the National Old Trails Highway came through there, it expanded a little bit, and then Route 66 came, and that mm. changed everything because all of a sudden there was a big flow of traffic. So it was uh, um, it was owned. The, the trading post was ran by a, a nice couple, um, but then they brought in uh, a guy named Harry Miller, Harry Two Guns Miller, <laughs> uh, who was quite a self promoter. Uh, he claimed uh, to be uh, a full-blooded Apache and uh, took on a persona of uh, Chief Crazy Thunder, something, and he's the one who gave it the uh, two guns. And uh, he was basically kind of uh, a, b- a big liar and blowhard and stuff, but he knew how to, <laughs> you know, get to try to attract business. Um, uh, one of the things that was interesting about two guns is this is the. The site right there in the canyon is the site of the Apache Death Cave, where Apache warriors used to raid the Navajo villages and would escape through the canyons and could always get away and stuff. But uh, after uh, 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 an especially violent raid uh, in 1878, uh, the uh, Navajo 
uh, surrounded the Apaches, got them trapped in this cave where they were hiding out, and uh, set fire to uh, build fires and uh, basically shot anyone that came out. Uh, so 42 Apache warriors died in oh the my. cave. And uh, so, uh, so yeah, so it started out with this uh, bit of violence. And then, of course, naturally, uh, Harry Two Guns Miller makes this a tourist attraction. He leads tours down in there and uh, uh sets up electric lights and uh, ladders and, and uh, everything. So he's really, you know, into the spirit of, you know, uh, Route 66 with the roadside attraction. Uh-huh. He started a couple of uh, the old roadside zoos. Um, in fact, some of the buildings, that's one of the cool things about Two Guns Now, they're still great bones. It's just these crumbling uh, stone structures from all eras, Uh because two guns lasted for uh, many decades and stuff, and so there are these different buildings from all years, but they're just all right there on the uh, edge of the canyon, and one of them still has a big. You can see the paint that says mountain lion. So he kept uh, mountain lions in cages, and you know there were those old zoos were just really awful. But, yeah. Uh, and Harry Miller paid the price for it too. He got mauled not once, but twice by mountain lions in the zoo <laughs> and was bitten by a Gila monster. So oh you think he would have learned his lesson, but no. <laughs> um, and a little later on, he got into a dispute with his landlord, one of the people that meant the, the couple that rented the building to him and shot and killed him. Uh, even though the landlord was unarmed, Harry managed to get off at trial and he moved on and, and went to a, uh, set up another location on Route 66 in Lupton, Arizona, where uh, Chief Yellow Horse is now at the, on the uh, edge of New Mexico there. But anyway, so Two Guns kind of held on, and it's just a great little place. Well, I knew uh, that we were going to run out of time long before we would get to some of the oh, other God. places. But I know we're going to talk about Gleason and Kentucky Camp and Vulture City and Ruby. There's a whole bunch. But if you go to my page, rogernaylor.com, uh, you feel free to... Uh, uh, you can always uh, uh, email me or uh, uh, you can get onto my Facebook or Twitter page. And I'll be happy to post some of my ghost town stories. Oh, perfect. And, uh, send you the link to different ones. and Because and, uh, I've written about uh, a lot of these ghost towns over the years, and it's always a pleasure of mine to go exploring there. And I'm happy to steer other folks in that direction as well. Roger Naylor is a travel writer and author. His latest book is Arizona's Scenic Roads and Hikes. You can uh, see all the information on his website, Roger Naylor. That's N-A-Y-L-O-R dot com. It was real fun chatting with you, Roger. We'll have to have you back on with some more ghost town stories. Anytime. I'm (laughs) always happy to blab about Arizona. And that is this week's Informed Traveler podcast. Remember, this is the podcast version of the Informed Traveler radio show, which is heard each week on Chorus Radio. You can find more information on the show at our website, theinformedtraveler.org. So thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, let us know, leave a review, tell a friend, or you can drop me a line. My email is randy at theinformedtraveler.org. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash informedtraveler or follow me on Twitter at informedtraveler.org.